You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, when we come in here as, as God's people each week, we kind of just have a lot going on in our lives. Um, you know, a lot of personally is going on, but then just going on around the world like what Chris just prayed. And so it's really good to be able to come in here and just be reminded of, of, of what God's doing, that He's in control and, and He's sovereign. And we try to do that each week at Red Sea. Our first worship set is typically just geared more toward the reality of God. Uh, we don't talk a whole lot, of, sing songs a whole lot about us as much because our hearts just need to be reminded of, of how good He is and what He's doing. But uh, after we remind ourselves of who God is and, and what He's done and that we are His children and that He has saved us, we also have to remind ourselves that, that God actually has something for us to do. You know, He's placed us here. He has a purpose for us. Now that we've remembered who He is and we've remembered this amazing work that He's doing through us, now we can get really practical and talk about what that is. And so today is going to be one of those really practical messages uh, we've been going through a series on resolving everyday conflict, something that you guys all face, uh, specifically talk about relational conflict that you have in your life. So uh, we got real practical um, uh, last week when uh, Dave came up here and he talked about a conflict inside of the family, and he talked about uh, conflict between husbands and wives, and also conflict that parents have with their children and children have with their parents, and and that was really, really good reminder for me of... Uh, of the role that God has placed me inside of my home and, uh, and how I can model how to handle conflict well with my kids instead of just like going off on them and uh, off, off the cuff. So if, if you're a parent and you really struggle with that uh, in your relationship with your husband or your wife, if you, if, you're, if you deal with how to handle relational conflict correctly, uh, go online. All those messages are online and, and Dave has, has got just a wealth of knowledge. So I would encourage you guys to do that. Well, this week, we're going to continue with that idea of talking about conflict in your place of work. But if you're a student, um, this will also apply to, to your schooling. So uh, most of us are probably in one of those two phases. Now, a few, few of you are retired and enjoying the good life. Uh, but the rest of us uh, are having to get up and do the daily grind uh, every day. Uh, so it's estimated that by the time you retire, you will have spent 90,000 hours at your job. I know that's depressing to some of us. Now, it's also true that by the time you retire, that you will have spent 5,000 hours at the church building, like what you're doing today. That's if you're a regular attender. Okay, so 90,000 hours in your place of work by the time you retire, as opposed to 5,000 here gathered together as, a, as God's people. Now, if you or I believe that church is going, to be, is going to be the primary place where our faith is expressed and lived out, and work is just this thing that we have to do on the side to pay the bills, then we are going to spend the majority of our life missing out on God's purposes for our everyday lives. God wants us to experience joy and purpose in the reality of, of the now, whether it's uh, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a kid that has to go to school or you're an adult that has to go to a job 
or even those of you who are retired, God in the reality of your everyday lives wants you to experience his plan and his purposes. But we don't always think like that. I think we see faith as something that we come and do on a Sunday morning when we sing like we just did. But God isn't, doesn't think like that. He wants you to, to live out your life in a, daily, in, a, in a way on a daily basis that represents his kingdom. So definitely he wants you to do it in the place that you spend the majority of your time, which for most of you guys in this room is actually at a job someplace. God wants to do something through your place of work. Um, but I, we don't always think like that. We don't always realize that it's in the day-to-day grind that God wants us to use us. It's in our workplace and as I was thinking about that this past week, and I was thinking about the time that I spent in the, in, the, in the secular workforce, I guess, I think the reason that we don't um, bring our faith into our work is because work is hard enough on its own. You know, like the workplace in and of itself, just getting through that on a day-in, day-out basis is pretty tough. You're like, man, I really don't want to bring faith into this, and then it's just going to make it even more more messy and complicated by turning it into ministry. But here's the thing. When we read the Bible, the majority of the stories are in the everyday lives of the people, right? Especially when you read the Old Testament or you read Paul's letters or even you look at Jesus and his disciples. It was just, they were just kind of hanging out doing their day-to-day routine. Now, we've said here at Red Sea over and over again, uh, and we say it over and over again because I really want this concept to sink in, that we believe most gospel ministry, okay, most working out of your faith is meant to happen by ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality, okay? So gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Now, if we are going to spend the majority of our adult lives working a profession, then we need to have some gospel intentionality in those places of work. Same is true for those of you who are students who are in school, like, like my daughter or some of you college students. This, this place where you spend the majority of your time, you're going to have to be intentional in, in working out your faith in these environments. Now, right now, like I said, I'm, I'm not working a, a secular job. I work here at the church. Uh, prior to this, I had spent five years uh, working in property management. I was the manager of an apartment complex. Uh, and when I, when I got the job, when I first moved here to Oregon, uh, you know, I needed to support my family somehow. And so I got a job working in an apartment complex. And uh, it was the first time in my adult life that I'd actually had what I call a normal job, uh, where it was a job not in a church or, or I wasn't in school um, learning to, to work, work at the church. And so I spent five years uh, working, in apart, working in apartment complexes. And one of the things that really struck me I remember as I think back on that time is that it was so easy to live out my faith because I didn't really have to look for opportunity. When you work at a church like I do, sometimes life can be a little dysfunctional and like I don't consider my life normal. You know, I have to search really hard sometimes for opportunities to interact with people who aren't, who aren't Christians. Um, I have to be really intentional with my time. Those of you who have jobs, you don't have to try very hard. I mean, it's there. Basically, you have to wake up and go. And then you have these opportunities around you all the time to, to interact with people who are not believers, to, to uh, talk about your faith, or at least to live out your faith in some really tangible ways. 
Uh, when I think back on, on my, my years uh, in, the, in the kind of the secular workforce, uh, it was filled with conflict. I mean, it was just nonstop, particularly, I think all of our jobs have conflict. Uh, any job where you work with people a lot, I bet your job has a lot of conflicts. You work with a lot of people in the airline industry. Uh, my job as an apartment manager, you've got a bunch of people who are very different, living on top of each other, making each other mad all day long. That's basically what managing an apartment is. You're just constantly putting out one fire after another. Uh, my wife has a similar job. Ever since I've known Jamie, uh, she's worked full-time. And uh, for the first 10 years of our marriage, uh, she worked at a large corporation in a kind of a sea of cubicles. Um, and then she was able to take that job and, and work from our home. But then in the last year and a half, I think, uh, she's been working at our kids' elementary school. And talk about a place of conflict, man. There is just, she's a principal's secretary, so there's just nonstop conflict. It's either conflict with the kids, between the kids, kid and the teacher, teacher and the principal, principal and the parents, kid and the parents, parents and the teacher. I mean, it's, it, it, just, it just never, never stops. And so we, along with you guys, are living in this reality. I, I don't want you to think that I'm just like talking out of theory here. Like, oh, you guys should just go out and be intentional in your places to work. I understand how hard it is. I understand how difficult conflict is. But if conflict is inevitable, then we need to see God's purposes inside of it in our place of work, this place where we spend the majority of our time. And we've made this really strong case in this series that God uses conflict in a really powerful way to teach us things about himself, things that we would have never learned about ourselves. And so let's be intentional with this time. So before we get real practical and talk about dealing with conflict in the workplace, we just need to be reminded of God's purposes in our jobs. So we're going to start the conversation there. So first, we need to understand that God invented work, right? Work did not, was not created out of a necessity. Uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden did not spend all of their time lounging around feeding each other grapes, like some pictures have depicted. God gave them a task to accomplish when he first created them and placed them in the garden. And we see this in Genesis 1.28. So God creates men and women that said, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. So the first covenant that God ever made with humans was a covenant of works. He, he created them in his image to be his representatives on this planet But he gave them a a task to do as his representatives. He created, but we are to rule over. And and one of the ways that we rule over is this ability to create and to multiply. Obviously, the passage is talking about multiplying in childbirth, but also to be able to to work with our hands, to, to go out and to create something and to steward something. To work is a command by God to Adam and Eve, which is also then placed onto us. And that act of working was the thing that took up the majority of their time, I think, in the Garden of Eden. But it was, all, it was also Adam and Eve's primary way in which they worshiped God. Just in the day-to-day, getting up and, and, uh, and having dominion over, ruling over, multiplying, and creating, right? Now, when humans sinned, this, uh, this, broke, you know, this broke that covenant that they had. Well, they broke the covenant that they had with God. And, and because of that, because it was a covenant of works, there were some consequences on those works that he had called them to do. 
We can see this in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Now, particularly with Adam, he, his main task was to, 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 uh, to have dominion over, to go into work. And so you can see when he broke that relationship with God, there was a subsequent curse that, that his work was now cursed. So you can see it in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So this is now the reality of work that we have to perform. Now, just because work is now harder than God had originally designed it to be, that doesn't mean that we should begrudge having to work, right? We can't see, well, because of the fall, work is cursed, so I'm just going to like fill my days with endless toil, and, and then eventually, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, if I'm a Christian, I'll, I'll go to heaven. God wants us to be intentional right now in the time that we have on this planet because there's something that he's doing with this time. Uh, We can see in Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisest men that ever lived, one of the most accomplished men that ever lived on the planet. Look what he says about this idea of work in Ecclesiastes 5.18. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink And find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power are to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift of God. So for us to get up every day and to work hard and to see ourselves as a, as a, as a steward of God's stuff is, is worship. Your job is a gift from God. Just like your stage of life is a gift from God or the relationships, the people that God has placed in your life is a gift from God. These are all things that God has given us, but we have to, to choose to steward these things well, Right? I think this, this, this idea of steward in our relationship with God is a really good word. It's why in our pathways diagram, we use the word servant to describe our relationship with God. He's master. We are his servants. He's, it's his stuff. It's his planet. But he's placed us here with something, and he's given us to steward those things. But what happens if we don't steward these things well? What happens if we forget God's purposes here on this earth? Well, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he chooses the word steward or servant to describe our relationship with God. If you open up to Matthew 24 here, and you guys can just look at the screen. I'm going to land here in just a little bit. But uh, but in Matthew 24, verse 45, look what Jesus says about this idea of stewardship. He says, "'Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household?' to give them food at the proper time. So in this, in this parable, we are the servants, God is the master, and he's placed us here to take care of, of his stuff to, over his household. Look what he says in 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus talking to us, not the world. 
about being good stewards of God's household, of taking care and taking responsibility of what he's given us. Why am I spending so much time talking about work instead of talking about conflict? It's because if we can remember that God has placed us in our jobs to accomplish something for his glory, then we are more likely to respond to challenges that happen in our place to work in a way that represents him and represents his kingdom. But we have to get into the habit of waking up every single day and reminding our own hearts that God has entrusted me with something today to steward. I, you and I, cannot control what happens to us in our places of work. But we can control how we respond to what happens to us. And I believe, I believe when we control what happens to us, it's very worshipful to God. It's one of the reasons that he placed us here. But here's the thing. Most of us, we just don't think like that, do we? Let's be honest. We drag ourselves out of bed. We drink enough coffee to be functional, right? And we forget that the glory of God is on display through us today as his image bears. So what do we do? The only thing I can encourage you guys to do is you have to get in the regular routine of speaking the gospel to yourself. Every day, you have to get up and remind yourself that God is doing something today. This is why we encourage you guys to pray or read the scriptures in the morning. You can read it whenever you want to. It's not more spiritual to read the Bible in the morning or to pray in the morning. But when we read the Bible in the morning, we remind ourselves before we have to then go out and face the reality of our lives. God knows that we're prone to forget. Throughout the Old Testament, God said, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Take my commands and write them on your hands and write them on the doorposts above your houses and write them on your city gates because I know you're going to forget this and I don't want you to forget Because if you forget, then you're not living out the purposes that I created you for. So then we have to remind ourselves, thanks be to God, he wrote them down for us, right? It's right there. All we have to do is read it. All we have to do is talk to him. All we have to do is even talk to one another about him. And our hearts are reminded. Real practical way to do this. In our family, about six months ago, uh, we started praying every morning before uh, Jamie and the kids leave. Um, uh, like I said, uh, my wife has a pretty stressful job. Uh, and in the morning, uh, our, as a family, we have a prayer of petition before God. All it is is just us asking God for his grace because he tells us to, for one thing. Um, but one of the unique stresses of my wife's job is that uh, as, the, as, her, as a secretary, she has to deal with what happens when, the, when teachers don't show up or when subs don't show up, right? It's not a good thing in a classroom when a sub doesn't show up. And you have all these kids that are so well-behaved, they just sit there quietly all day. Um, so in the morning, it's really interesting. My wife, I'll be sitting there drinking my coffee, and it's about 10, 15 minutes before she gets ready to go. Uh, she'll get out her iPad, and she'll open up, and she's, she's able to look online at who's actually showing up for work today. How many of the teachers are going to be gone, and how many subs are going to be there, and if those positions were even filled by subs, right? So she knows automatically what she's about to get herself into. Some of you guys do that with your email. You open up your email in the morning, and you know how bad of a day 
this day is going to be, right? Based on all that you have to do. And, uh, and, and with my wife, there was this frustration. She was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be an awful day, right? I just know automatically it's going to be an awful day because if there are substitutes, the kids are all going to be sent down to the office and then she has to discipline them and they're going to sit there all day and she has to try to get her job done and all this. Um, in those moments when my wife realizes that this is going to be a really bad day, the only thing I can do for her is pray for her. Right? That's it. the only thing I have in my power. I can't come to the work. I can't do her job for her. But I can pray and remind her that God is in control. And I can also ask of God, who tells us to ask. Like, he's our dad, and we're supposed to go to dad and ask him for things because he gives good gifts to his kids. And we go before him, and we ask him for his grace. Now, I promise you guys this. We have seen a radical behavior change in our school. Because we are praying. Because one family is praying, a school is changing. That's the power of the gospel. Your workplace could change if we only went before God and asked. Because God wants us to ask because then he wants to show up. And he wants to answer our prayer. If we go into our places of work bitter and frustrated then it's going to have this natural effect on everybody around us in our places of work. And I know many of us struggle with sharing our faith as work. We're not the most gregarious people. Uh, we are really challenged with, oh my gosh, I have to speak to somebody about God today? I want to encourage you guys, maybe just for a time period, put that on the, on the, on the back burner here. Just work on finding joy in your place of work. Just work on finding joy at home or joy in, in, in school where you're at. Then once you find joy, people will say, hey, there's something different about you. What is that? And that's where the gospel begins to come to bear. And I understand how hard this is, guys. I'm, I'm in it with you guys. I don't wake up every day and, and just like, woo, I get to do what I do today. It's going to be an awesome day. But I have had to get in this habit of just reminding myself of speaking the gospel to, me, to myself. There's this passage of Scripture that's been really, really helpful for me. And, I, and I've tried to memorize it so that I can, in that moment when I, I begin to, to feel sin creep in, anxiety creep in, I go to Philippians 4, 7, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That one scripture fills me with the reality of God, right? The Lord is at hand. That's all I can do. And then I can then go back into my circumstances. So you guys, we have to leverage these tools that God has given us, whether it's prayer or whether it's in the Word. Like I said, we cannot control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to those circumstances. Well, what about if you just have an awful job? Like what if, if you're sitting there saying, you don't understand how bad my work environment is. You don't understand how I'm treated in this place. Let's go to a passage of Scripture here. It's in the book of, uh, of Colossians, verse 3. And this is Paul here. He's talking to a group of people who are dealing with a lot of relational conflict all around them. 
Uh, in this passage, he's talking about the church, but then he acknowledges people who are not believers. So I believe the concept also applies to us in the workplace. But in Colossians 3, verse 22, Paul is addressing the servants who are attending church, right? So you have people who are servants, who are bond servants. They have a debt that they're trying to work off. And he's addressing those people. And you got to imagine it can't be the best circumstances for them. Look what he says to them in Colossians 3.22. He says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how bad our work is. It can't be worse than that. And to them, he says, I want you to work hard. Don't be, I want you to obey in everything. Don't try to be people pleasers. Work with a sincere heart. Work heartily because you are serving Christ, right? To get up and to go into a difficult work environment and to say, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to honor God today. I'm going to steward well. That, man, that's worship. I believe that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And if we could just be satisfied with our circumstances, man, that brings God so much glory. And it's about our heart. It's about it being sincere. In your workplace, if you run away from conflict or if you attack other people, like we've talked about in the last couple of messages, that's kind of obvious that you don't have a sincere heart, right? And it has more to do with your relationship with God than just your relationship with, coworkers, with your coworkers. You need to go back and just find peace with God, Right? And then you'll naturally begin to have peace with your coworkers. Like I said, get in the habit of speaking this truth to yourself. Allow others who are close to you speak to you. Um, when you're really struggling in a situation with seeing God's purposes in it, man, ask somebody else about that. That's why we have home community as a church. We come together and we talk about the reality of our circumstances. And we allow each other to speak truth into our circumstances when we're just not seeing it. Uh, me and Jamie, we had to do this this past Friday. Uh, it was, uh, we got up that morning, we prayed a petition of prayer, asking for God's grace. She looked at her iPad. She was like, it's going to be a bad day. And she went to work. And then a couple hours later, Jamie called me. Uh, she contacted me. And, uh, and, uh, and she was just saying, hey, it's just a, a really bad day. Uh, and I, I, need you to, I need you to pray for me. And, uh, and so at that time, I had my Bible open. I was working on this passage of Scripture, um, and I was like, hey, honey, I think this may be God's word for you here. And it was in Romans 12, and this is kind of where I want to land a little bit today. Uh, Romans 12 is going to be up here on the screen, and this is, this is how we're supposed to interact with our difficult circumstances, particularly if, if, some, if you're in a conflict with someone where you're kind of the victim and they're taking advantage of you. Look at, look at what Paul says here. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Man, that's hard in the workplace, right? Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? And Jamie said, okay. And she went back into her place of work. And that was her mentality that entire day was, okay, I'm going to love and I'm going to try to bless in these really difficult circumstances. And, and it, you can ask her. It, was, uh, it radically changed her, her whole day and the way that she interacted with the people around her. Uh, this is what we have to do. The, the world says you need to get yours, right? The world says that it's, it's, it's a, a dog-eat-dog world or, or the, the only the strong survive. You have to look out for number one. None of that has any place in God's kingdom. When we are sinned against, we are to bless, right? We're not to be arrogant. We're not to be prideful. We're to try to live at peace, we're not to take matters into our own hands, but we're, we're supposed to trust God with it. What do we do in our workplace when we're sinned against? Or what do we do in our workplace when maybe we're the one who is, who is at fault here? And this process that I want to take you through comes out of the RET curriculum that some of the guys have been going through, which was, all, which was taken from another curriculum. Uh, it was taken from a book called True Faced, um, which is a great book. If you want to use some of these resources, go pick up that book called True Faced. But in this, in this book, it kind of walks us through a process of how do we deal with conflict when we've been sinned against. So we're going to put the first visual up here on, on the screen. So anytime there's a relational conflict, such as in your place of work, you first need to acknowledge it as sin, right? That's what conflict is. Sin is a failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. That's, that's Grudem and systematic theology, right? But, but what's happening to me right now or what I'm doing right now is sin if it's not conforming to God's ways. Now, there's two aspects of sin. Uh, they're pretty obvious. I have sinned or I have been sinned against, right? Easy enough? Okay, next graphic. Now, when I have sinned, my involuntary response to that sin is, is guilt. Uh, now, when I've been sinned against, my involuntary response to that is hurt, right? We're going to land in one of these two camps. There's either going to be hurt because I've been sinned against or guilt because I've sinned. And these are not bad things. And we have to train ourselves to, to be sensitive to any time there's guilt or there's hurt. Because God has hardwired these two things into our humanity, and there are signs to us there needs to be some type of an action, right? So think about a conflict you may have in your workplace. Is there any guilt or is there any hurt in that? If so, we need to be willing to act. Because if we deny that there's guilt or hurt and we choose not to deal with the sin, what, result, what results in that is relational brokenness that has these other devastating consequences in our workplace. So what's the next step after identifying guilt or hurt? Next if you choose not to deal with the sin correctly, there's going to be some inevitable effects that are going to come out of this. And here's the inevitable effects. They're kind of listed there. Shame, hiding, withdrawal, fear, blame, and denial. These are pretty similar to in the peacemaking on the slippery slope of conflict when you get over to the escape responses. That's kind of uh, what these are here. Now, all of these are, ba- are our attempts to cover up the sin, to try to make it just go away, whether it's you sinning or you are getting sinned against. If you're hiding if there's shame, if there's fear, denial, we're trying to cover up the sin, but it doesn't work, and it just keeps getting worse, right? But these are our natural responses. It doesn't matter if you're Adam and Eve or, or Jim and Jamie, right? Our natural response are these effects, and we have to identify those as sinful. 
So then what do we do in response to that? When you see guilt or hurt, the next uh, spiritual response is you got it. When you see guilt or hurt, you have to respond with a, a spiritual response. And the peacemaking curriculum that we've given you guys, it's the four G's. And we've walked through those four G's and there's pamphlets about that. This is real similar. It just uses different words. But you have to choose to do these things, knowing they're not going to come naturally to you. So here's what we do. The first thing that we do when we're sinned against is confession. Now, confession is admitting your sin, saying I did it, saying who did what to whom, right? It's, it's not just you confessing to God, which is what we just want to do when there's sin, but it's you confessing to the person that you sinned against. This is the whole get the log out of your own eye that Dave was talking about, Right? If you're struggling with, oh, should I confess? Is there any sin on my part? Why don't you ask somebody else to speak into the situation? And maybe they can help you see some of the contribution, some of your contribution to the conflict. So we confess it as sin, or we acknowledge that we were sinned against. Now, here's the next step. It's repentance. And I'm going to have Royce come up here. So what's the difference between repentance and confession? Right? A lot of times we think, well, repentance or confession is repentance, isn't it? It's not. Now, here's a, here's a really simple visual. Uh, let's say that I was, uh, I was gossiping about you, okay? And when I do that, when I sin against him, it's relational brokenness causing us to turn our backs on one another, right? So this is, this is relational brokenness. Now, I can confess that I sinned. Royce, I gossiped about you. Again, yes. But notice that our backs are still facing one another, right? Repentance is, is us turning and facing one another and acknowledging that I sinned, and he has to acknowledge an acceptance of that. Do you hear that? You got it? Okay, good job, buddy. You can have a seat. That's the difference. And you may say, well, what's the point? I think because a lot of times we want to confess, we just don't want to face the person, Right? You can't have true repentance if you're not willing to face the person that you sinned against or allowing them to face you. Well, because that's the messy part. Like, oh man, I don't want to do that. But that's a big part of the process is you receiving that from them allows them to heal. So confession is admitting your sin. Repentance is turning away from that sin toward the person you sinned against. We both engage in that. Uh, the next step is, is forgiveness, right? I think this is the most obvious step that we talk a lot about. Now, forgiveness isn't something that needs to be given, but it's also something that needs to be received, right? Each of us are, are made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we have this innate sense of justice that resides inside of us so that when a wrong occurs, especially when it's against us, this strong sense of justice exerts itself. And we say, someone has to pay, don't we? Because you can confess and someone can confess to you, but that doesn't go away, does it? You still want them to pay for the thing that they have done against you. What do you do in that circumstance? Well, as a Christian, what we do is say somebody already has paid, right? Jesus Christ paid for the wrong. Therefore, as a Christian, I can forgive others because that sense of justice has been satisfied in Jesus Christ's payment on the cross. Justice is satisfied. 
That's how you find that satisfaction. It's not just from the other person, but it's you realizing that that sin has been atoned for. It has been paid for. Well, what about if you're in a place where the other person isn't a Christian? If they're not a Christian, then Christ's death on the cross doesn't apply to them if they haven't received it. But even though that's true, they can still be forgiven because justice is something that God takes care of, whether in this life or the next. He may bring that person to faith at some point and justify their wrongdoing, or he may cause them to be justified through an eternal separation from him. Right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will take care of it. So whether we can, whether we can receive forgiveness from that person because they're a Christian or not, we can trust that God is going to have his will accomplished. Justice will be served because God is just, right? Now here's the next step, and this is where I think we, we stop usually. We may repent, we may confess, find some repentance, even exchange forgiveness to the other person and believe that God truly forgave them. But I don't think we move beyond that most of the time. And when I look at my own life, I think probably 90% of the time I may confess the sin. About 75% of the time I repent of that sin and face the person. Probably 50% of the time I actually forgive that person and believe that Jesus forgave them. I'm then reconciled with that person about 40% of the time. And I give restitution about 25% of the time. That means that only a quarter of my conflicts actually ever reach restoration. And that's probably true for most of us if we don't walk through this whole process. So this is why these last couple of steps are important. Now, reconciliation is to do what is necessary to bring the two parties of a broken relationship back together. Both persons involved make a commitment to walk together through the conflict until it is taken care of. And it's incredibly hard because the deeper the sin, the longer it takes for us to become reconciled, to work through it. If there's a pattern of, of a particular sin, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in your place of work, it takes trust, right? You have to build trust and you have to commit yourself to the relationship before there's actually relational reconciliation. Many times when there's sins, we confess the sin and there may be peace and that that particular conflict is over, but then what do we do? We try as hard as we can to avoid that person. How many people in your place of work are you avoiding? Because there was a conflict in the, pa- in the past. That means there's not reconciliation in that conflict. Now here's the next step. And this one I think is what is the most powerful. This is what Jim demonstrated to his boss. The next step is restitution. Restitution is paying back what you've stolen. Whether it's time or money or affection or a stapler. You have to pay it back. If you've stolen love, you have to give love until the other person believes that you love them. If you violated their trust, it's going to take a lot of trust to get it back. But when you pay back only what you've stolen, you're merely acknowledging that you got caught, not that you value the other person more than the sin. In your marriage, restitution, right? Between parents and children in a conflict, restitution. Between you and your boss, are you and a coworker? Are you and a classmate? You need to spend the time thinking about what does restitution look like? What's it look like to give back that thing that I've stolen? And then lastly is restoration. 
Restoration is to acknowledge that there was sin, but you can move forward without hurting anymore. It's having relational sin in your past, but not allowing it to affect the current relationship. Now, I want you guys to think about your conflicts. If you don't have, if you don't feel there's restoration, then I think you need to go back and do something. Whether that person is a Christian or not, this is God's process. And I understand how hard this is, right? It's hard, it's costly, it's painful. Why? Because it's God-sized, right? And if, it, if, it's, if, it's, not, if it's not hard, if it's not painful, then it's not real. Real like God's forgiveness is real. Real enough that can truly change us in our places of work. As we come to the table, one of the reasons that we have communion every week as a church is we believe this is a beautiful reminder to us of this conflict that's been reconciled between us and God. And the cool thing is when you think about communion, all of those spiritual responses are there, right? There's confession. There's acknowledging that there was sin there. There's repentance. There's true forgiveness because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. That's what the the bread and the wine represent. But then God doesn't stop there with us. Then there's restitution on God's part to us, wasn't it? And his restitution was allowing us to become a part of his family. He demonstrated love for us. There was restoration and that he made us his people. He made us a part of his kingdom. And that is what we're then called to go and do for other people. So as you guys come and you take communion today, come to the table, pray about a particular circumstance that you have going on, a particular conflict, and then let us leave this place and be the type of people that, that, that all those passages of Scripture talked about. As we remember what God has done for us, we can then go and do for others. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you. We would just ask that, that you would help us through this, God. We, we believe that you've placed us here as your image bearers. You've given us the job to steward, and stewarding happens in the day-to-day grind of life. No matter what stage of life any of us are in in this room, we believe that you are at work right now inside of us. God, would you please give us the strength to do what seems beyond our ability to do? Father, we need you to do this through us. We acknowledge we are a weak, sinful people. But as we continue to think and to lean in and to experience your grace, we become a grace-filled people. Father, would you use us in our place of work to bring peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring all of the, the kingdom values that we've received from you. And would you allow us to extend those to those people that we're around on a daily basis so that they may know what it means to know you and to be called your child. We would ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.